2 Timothy chapter number 4 uh, is where we'll be speaking from this evening. I find it unique that Brother Nichols' video begins with someone who's blind, and uh, the Crabtree family are sent to the deaf. Throughout the Gospels, any time anyone has ever pictured or showed with a physical impairment, whether that's a leper, whether that's someone who's blind, deaf, or lame, um, all of those people picture the same thing. It pictures their sinful nature. See, God never created us to have that type of uh, infirmity in our life. And when we meet Christ, you see, Jesus changed them with the gospel. And the, the healing was just a secondary benefit of knowing Christ. And the most important thing we can do is be more focused on people's spiritual condition than we are their physical condition. Although I believe it's important to care for both. 2 Timothy chapter number 4 this evening, we'll start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Paul here is reminding Timothy that the person to whom he was accountable to was not his mentor or his tutor, the person who Timothy was accountable to was the Lord Jesus Christ, the great judge who would one day hold every man accountable for their works. And so Paul here is giving an encouragement to Timothy, saying, Timothy, I want to encourage you to do something, but I want to encourage you so, so not as to confuse it. I'm just simply hoping you'll do this, but Jesus Christ will make sure that one day you answer as to whether or not you did these things. Now, what are these things that Paul encourages his friend Timothy to do? Number one, he encourages him to preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. They shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And this is his encouragement amidst this culture, and amidst this people, who he was to preach to, but inevitably many would would doubt what he said, and most would reject what he said. Paul looks at Timothy and he says, regardless of their reaction to your message, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And gracious Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd meet with us this evening as we Open your eternal truth. Lord, I pray that you would help us understand it as we have never understood it before. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would make it particularly applicable to every person in the room tonight. Lord, may we search our hearts to try to find out whether we measure up to the standard of what you are asking us to do and what we will be one day held accountable to do, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our Lord, before leaving this earth in Matthew chapter 28, gave what we know as the Great Commission. He taught us to teach people. 
He taught us to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And we were to also teach them how to live this Christian life. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We know the Great Commission. It was taught by our Lord Jesus and obviously His words are profound. His words uh, are for us a command. But tonight, this is, if you will give me the liberty, the sequel to the Great Commission. Now, this is not Jesus Christ speaking. This is the Apostle Paul. And he is writing to one of his preacher boys on what he was wanting him to do. You see, our Lord gave His Great Commission to just a few disciples, but we believe it's applicable to our lives today. Say amen if you believe that. Amen. amen. Not all of you said amen. Say amen if you believe that. Amen. amen. Good. Paul here is giving this message to only one man, but I believe the message in which he gives Timothy is applicable to everyone in the room. You say, Brother Andrew, I, I'm a female. There's no way I could preach. You see, preaching is just the conveyance of God's eternal truth. Preaching is just standing up and telling someone of their need for a Savior. And in that sense, we're all preachers. In that sense, we're all missionaries. And Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, preach the Word. Now, I've had the opportunity to play basketball and football my whole life. I've had the opportunity to even coach basketball. And one of the things that you, you struggle with as a coach is you spend hours and hours and hours of practice with these kids. You, you work with them and you try to craft their skills. You try to bring them together as a team. You try to help them. You try to occasionally spur them, if you will. And all of this culminates to what we know as game time. But right before game time, there's a moment where you have the team gathered up. And you're addressing them as coach to player. They're getting ready to go put forth all the effort and put together what you've instructed them to do. They're ready to go do what you've trained them to do and what they have the talent to do. But you have a moment where you get to speak to them. A final charge, if you will. You see, this is Paul's final charge to Timothy. It's his pep talk. For you see in verse number 6, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. It's as if Paul were here saying, Timothy, I've trained you, I've taught you, you've ministered side by side with me. You know what I've done and you are doing it. But I'm telling you, Timothy, don't change what I've done. Don't change what you're doing. Just preach the word, Timothy. It's a pep talk. It's his final charge. And tonight I want you to study with me three truths of Paul's final charge to Timothy. Number one, the charge to never quit preaching. Amen. To never quit preaching. Verse number two says, preach the word. I want you to notice with me, first of all, the subject. What are we to preach? The word. Amen. You say, that seems pretty obvious, Brother Andrew. Then let me ask you, why have so many people wavered from it? 
Why have so many people substituted the time where a man gets behind the pulpit and opens the word of God and stands and proclaims God's truth? Why have so many people substituted it with performances and concerts and and, and videos and PowerPoint presentations and, and all sorts of different things and Easter productions and all these different things when the Bible says, Timothy, preach the word. It's the subject. It is powerful. You see, we've had Easter productions fail, but I don't believe that there's ever been a sermon fall flat when preached from this pulpit as long as the subject stayed on God's Word. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Oh, preachers may get behind their pulpit and they may try to craft the silliest joke or the best illustration, maybe to give you a, a good object analogy, but I'm here to tell you those are good and I'm certainly sure they all have their place. But the most important thing a preacher can do is stand behind a pulpit, open God's Word, and expound on what truly has life-changing power. You want to hear God's opinion of His Word as compared to my preaching ability? He says in Jeremiah 23, 29, Is not my Word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? I've heard many times preachers say, Lord, hide me behind the cross, and I believe that. That's a good thing to do. It's, it's about humility and a man trying to not become the object of his own sermon. But truly, some preachers probably need to say, Lord, help me not divert the subject matter off of things that don't matter, but let me always stay in the pulpit proclaiming your word. The subject. These missionaries will go to their respective fields, they will have opportunity to to do many things. I, I recall Brian Cohn, one of my very good friends, he tells me of all the niceties that are over in Thailand. We recently got a movie theater that's very plush and has reclinable chairs. And Brian said, oh, that was in Thailand way before it was here. Brian tells me how you can go get a cheap massage anytime he wants. Uh, Brian tells me of the great golf that's over in Thailand. And, and those are all good things, and I'm happy that he can do those. I even heard a story one time of, of a, a, a soccer game Brian went and watched. Many of you may have heard the same. <laughs> and I don't blame a missionary for going over and having a good time in their respective field. But I'm here to tell you, the mission of a missionary ought to be to have a moment where they can stand before a person or sit down with a person and exchange the truth of God's Word. It's not the time spent with somebody that will help them. It's the time spent with someone teaching them God's Word that can change a life. What are we to preach? Well, the subject is to be God's Word. Secondly, I want you to notice the season with me. The season, verse number 2 says, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. What does this mean? Well, it means that you're to be ready to preach the word at any point in time. Well, it's easy to preach the word when you come to Saturday visitation. It's what you're there for. It's the designated time that you've set apart to go soul winning and reach out to somebody. But it's not so easy to just remember to do it in your daily life. 
Being a soul winner 24-7. Back when I was a kid, we had this thing called, uh, uh, well, we would pick teams. And oftentimes when we would have too many to make an even number, we would designate somebody as the all-time quarterback. How many of you have ever done something like that? You've you've been there and you have one-time all-time QB. Everybody else runs the positions. But regardless of the team, someone is the all-time quarterback. It doesn't matter whether it's season or not. You know what the Bible tells us? We are all times to be worried about about lost men's condition. We are to at all times be someone who is ready to deliver the gospel. You see, Jesus even confronted this problem back in his day in John chapter 4. He looked all around him and he said, Say not ye there yet four months to harvest? You know what that is? That's out of season. They were expecting an end season in four months. And at that time, they would be ready to harvest and they'd be ready to do the work that would require them to do in order to maintain and to gain the harvest. But Jesus says, I want you to just look around. I say unto you, the fields are already wide unto harvest. That's what Jesus says. Jesus was teaching the same principle. Be ready in season and out of season. We must be soul winners at all times. We must be always worried about someone's condition. Many of you remember when my father and I went last year up to Canada. It's very rare when me and him both miss a Sunday, so y'all probably knew something was up when neither one of us were here. We went to Canada. We had the opportunity to go up there. Many of you helped us go up there to, to fulfill one of my dad's lifelong dreams. It was a tremendous time, one of the most incredible things I've ever done, uh, watching my dad have a fun hunt and walking 10 miles a day and me not getting to so much. But it was okay. That's not what it was for. It was not for me. I was glad to be there for my dad. And we, we had a guide that we were introduced to on day number one. His name was Mario. That was his name. I, he didn't say it like that, but I did. And uh, Mario was a tremendous uh, guy. He had been uh, guiding on caribou hunts up in uh, Canada for over 28 years. You see, Mario was a full-time firefighter. And during his, he took his, he saved up his vacation and took it during caribou season so he was able to go and and guide caribou hunts for nine straight weeks. Mario was a really nice guy. I was thankful that we didn't get somebody who cussed all the time or said perverted jokes all the time, which if you've ever been around those types of, uh, if you will, bushmen, uh, uh, they, they have a tendency to do that. But Mario was not like that. I'll never forget on day number one, me and my dad, we're struggling in the land and, and there's not a whole lot of caribou going on. And we basically post up by this gigantic rock. It's taller than I am. And we're just sitting at the base of the rock, just waiting for caribou, which there did seem to be a lack of them at the time, to be honest. We sat there at the base of that rock and I'll never forget. Mario said, so what do you guys do for a living? My dad said, well, we're preachers. And uh, we began to share with Mario a little bit about our profession. We began to tell him about what we believed. And Mario said that he had a little bit of a, a religious affiliation, a religious background, but he had stopped going to church for many years. He was not really involved this way or that way. He really wasn't concerned this way or that way. And as we sat at that rock, waiting for a caribou to come by, it would have been very easy to ignore our obligation as Christians. We're preachers 
And if anyone ever asks me what I do and I say I'm a preacher and then I don't follow up by fulfilling the obligation of a preacher, I am sorry. Mario said, what do you do? We said, we're preachers. We then went on to share with Mario. We asked him if he knew where he'd go to spend eternity. He said he did not. He, he, you know, he'd hoped he'd go to heaven, but he's been a pretty good guy. And, and truth is, Mario was a pretty good guy. But you know as well as I do, that doesn't get Mario very far. We began to t- tell Mario what God's Word says. Unfortunately, Mario did not trust Christ as his Savior. But I'm here to tell you, it would have been very easy to sit there and say, oh, we've got bigger things to worry about. It's cold, the wind's blowing, we're waiting for a caribou. And I believe with my whole heart, it was about 30 minutes after that, three caribou just walked up on us, uh, uh, and Dad got to shoot his caribou. 30 minutes after us giving the gospel, here's a question, and you can think what you want. Would those caribou have ever walked by if we did not do that? I don't know. I mean, I'm no prophet, but I, I do know this. God blesses those who will honor him and believe that when they present the gospel, he will bless. Amen. Now, uh, maybe a caribou would have come by. Maybe I should have witnessed to Mario on day number two, three, four, and five, because they didn't come by any other time the rest of the week. But it's easy to dismiss your responsibility. But Paul looked to Timothy and he said, Timothy... I'm going to be gone and I'm not going to be there to hold your hand. I won't be there to, to make sure that you can, or you're concerned about those people you pass by down at the market. I won't be there to, 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 to make sure you're concerned and that you stay fervent after souls. I won't be there all the time, Timothy. So here's what I've got to say to you, Timothy. Continue to preach the word in season and out of season. Just Timothy, when you think you got to preach, you preach. Timothy, if you think it's not a good time to preach, just preach, Timothy. Preach the word. That's what what Paul says. And I believe the truth is me and you have a responsibility to preach the word. So I've heard so many times my own conscience say, Brother Andrew, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. You see, my conscience calls me, brother. That's weird, but I I tell the voices in my head to shut up, but they don't. I don't want to get out of bed all the time. You know what? The next time you don't want to witness, I hope that something rises up in you and grabs you and says, okay, this is out of season. This is just one of those out of season times. And I am instructed to give the gospel and to preach the gospel at this moment just as much as I am when it's convenient and when it's comfortable. I am to preach the gospel. The charge of Paul to never quit preaching I want you to notice secondly with me tonight, the second truth of Paul's charge to Timothy, the characteristics of our message. What is our message supposed to sound like? And you may say, what is it important? You see, we all are different. We all have different deliveries. I appreciated Brother Nate's uh, 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 testimony that he was concerned about ever having to stand up in front of some. You see, that's never been a real concern for me. When I was two years old, I was standing on a bench behind the pulpit of the old church preaching. I've never been scared to stand up in front of people. Brother Nate, however, is. And there's probably some in this room that have no problem with it. Brother John Ringgold doesn't have much problem standing up in front of people and yelling. That's good. 
Some of you get behind the pulpit and you would say, uh, I remember Miss Amanda Lackey at Master's Club night. You remember? She said, I just feel so nervous and I love that. We're all different and we're wired differently and I believe that's what makes us wonderful. That's how I know I'm fearfully and wonderfully made by a creator. I wasn't just part of an assembly line process. My God crafted me and made me special to him. And as such, there is a temptation that our gospel presentations would take on characteristics of our own personality. And I believe your personality and your gospel presentation is a good thing. But I'm here to tell you right now that there is a new movement in Christianity that has allowed too much personality to overwhelm their gospel. See, the delivery of our message in verse number two is to number one, reprove. Reprove means to convict. The second word here is to rebuke in verse number two. Rebuke means to challenge. It literally means to threaten. The third word here in verse number two, exhort. Exhort means to comfort. So we are to confront. We are to challenge. We are to convict. We are to comfort. That's the way our gospel presentation ought to be. But it's funny when I turn on my television to some of these guys who have just enormous churches. There doesn't seem to be much confrontation. There doesn't seem to be much of a challenge either. In fact, it sounds something like this. I'm going to do my best impression. Now, I'm not telling you who it is, but... Oh, it's a wonderful day in Houston. It's so good to see you today. Did you know that God wants you to be happy? God has made you special, and you can be just as high as you want to go, and don't let people hold you down. Don't let critics drag you down. And you say, Brother Andrew, you've been watching Brother Holstein? No, uh, that's Brother John Ringgold's impression that I'm copying. <laughs> Look, and I'm, I'm not being critical. I, well, maybe a little bit. I'm not trying to be. I'm inadvertently being critical. But I am pointing out that in Paul's instruction to Timothy... There came a point when, when God's law was to convict. You cannot witness to somebody without saying the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The first point in God's salvation plan is you need a Savior. Why do you need a Savior? Because on your own you'll never make it. And I believe that there is no conversion unless there is first conviction. Someone must feel the grip of hell on their life, realizing that they are hovering above an eternity without a Savior, above eternity away from God. And until they realize that fact, salvation will never mean to them what it will potentially mean when they realize they stand guilty before the same God who loved them and gave His Son for them. Oh man, what we must realize is 
It's good when we are encouraging. It's good when we exhort people and uplift people. But there is a point when, when truth cannot take a back seat to our comfort. And truth cannot take a back seat to what we're willing to tell somebody. If truth says they're wrong, then they are wrong. And there is no gray area about it. Jesus looked at the woman at the well. He said, woman, I want you to draw me something. The woman looked at him and said, how can you ask me to do something for you? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. This is not how this normally goes. Jesus said, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. The woman looks at Jesus and says, how can you give me any water because you have nothing to draw with? Jesus looks at her and says, oh, that type of water that you're talking about, you drink that water, you'll thirst again. But the water that I give, you'll never thirst again. And upon hearing this wonderful truth, this woman looks at Jesus and says, give me this water that I may never thirst again. What's Jesus' next words? Now let's bow your head and let's pray. No, He says, go and get your husband. And the woman says, well, about that. You see, I'm kind of in between husbands at the time. And Jesus looks at her and says, thou hast rightly said. For you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your own. Why could Jesus not have just led her through the salvation prayer before all this? I mean, she understood living water. She knew that Jesus had living water to offer. But it was not until Jesus confronted her with her sinful condition and her need for a Savior. You know what Jesus was doing? He was reproving. He was rebuking. And he was confrontationally calling her to her need for him. You may have an opportunity on the work site to talk to somebody about Jesus. And I hope you do. But at that time, you can't just give all the rosy promises of the Word of God. But you must tell them that Luke chapter 16 tells us there's a hell. You must tell them that the rich man lifted up his eyes and in earth he was comfortable. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Truth can never take a back seat to what we are willing to say. Truth wrapped in grace is the best gift you can give someone. While lies wrapped with a smile is the most destructive. You cannot just always preach happiness and always, oh, everything's great when you're on God's side. If you're not on God's side, everything's not okay and everything is not great. Paul instructs Timothy to have a specific delivery to his message, and that is it. I want you to notice, secondly, the design of our message. The design of our message. Look in verse number 2, the Bible says, I want you to reprove, I want you to rebuke, I want you to exhort. Notice what the next three words are. He says, with all, what are the next three words? See, I took a drink there so y'all wouldn't know. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Doctrine is defined by Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary as the truths of the gospel. Or another definition is this, 
the same doctrines as taught by Jesus Christ or his apostles. When you are given the opportunity to witness somebody, make sure that you major on truth, major on scripture, and minor on your own personal experience. I believe one of the best steps into a gospel presentation is your own testimony. I believe that with my whole heart. You study Paul's sermons. You study Paul's uh, uh, witnessing tactics. You look at Peter's own uh, uh, witnessings and, and, and his sermons. Almost every one of them start with, I was on the Damascus road. Or, or Peter says, I spent time with Jesus. But they at one point or another segue into what matters. They segue into truth. They segue into gospel and they minor on themselves and major on Jesus. You see, if you have to look hard to find Jesus in your gospel presentation, we've messed up. If a church service is held and Jesus is not the one who is the one being spoken about and the one who's being adored, then something is wrong. I've been to churches where the conversation after we dismissed was, boy, them singers sure, sure, sure sung great today. Boy, the preacher sure did a good job today. If that's what we say after we've come to church, we're missing it. Something is so wrong. If our conversation does not sound something like, Man, when I was listening to preacher, I just remembered how good God has been to me. And when I knelt and prayed, preacher went over his own personal testimony, but I put myself in that position and I remember my testimony. And if your kids never hear you talk about what Jesus has done for you, what are we doing? Jesus is to be the central theme of our message The way it is designed is not so that we would be the prominent character, but that Jesus would be the preeminent character, the design of our message. Titus chapter 1 verse 9 says that we are to hold fast to faithful word as hath been taught, that he may be able to by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. What is doctrine? Doctrine is truth. Doctrine is right. Doctrine never fails. You see, when you talk more about your own personal salvation experience, here's what happens. Over time, your experience changes. How many of you have ever told a fishing story? You see, I'm fairly good at them because I never catch fish. All I have is stories. When you're young, you know, a fish that was truly this big may have looked this big. And your personal experience changes. You know what God says about his word? My word never changes. He says, the flower withereth, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but my word is forever. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't change. There's nothing uh, remotely uh, giving about God's word. If it said it yesterday, it'll say it tomorrow. And the same gospel you were saved by is the same gospel that'll save your lost relatives and save your friends who you care about deeply. If you always made your own experience, then that will change and, and that gives an emotion. Uh, emotional fuzzy feeling but God's word is the only thing that never changes our truth 
Our message must center on the doctrines of God's word, for that is to be the design of our message. Here's a question, and I say this not to make anyone feel bad. How familiar are you with doctrine? Is doctrine one of those Bible words that scares you? If somebody called you on the carpet to defend your stance on whether Jesus is truly virgin born or whether Jesus truly did create the earth, if someone asked you these things, what would be your response? Because when we're instructed to preach, we're instructed to preach doctrine. If you can't prove that Jesus had a sinless nature, why should someone ever listen to you about what Jesus did for you? And I don't say these things to make you feel bad. I'm saying these things to encourage you to learn truth so that you might be a more effective witness for your Savior. You know what the Bible says? It says, study to show thyself approved. A a, a workman rightly dividing the scriptures. Uh, That's what the Bible says. Are you rightly dividing the scriptures? Do you need preacher to interpret every Bible passage for, for you? Or are you comfortable knowing what God's word said? And when Joe Schmo's uh, so-and-so commentator says something different, are you comfortable standing your ground? Because they're not always right, you know. Are you comfortable with doctrine? Because our message hinges upon the, the, the unity and the unchanging doctrines of God's word, the design of our message. Paul gave him three, char- three facts to his charge. Number one, the charge to never quit preaching, the characteristics of his message, and finally, I want you to see the challenge of the day. The challenge of the day. Verse number three says this. After encouraging Timothy... Timothy, just preach. Preach the word, Timothy. Know your doctrine. Preach the doctrine. I'm sure Timothy's about ready to charge hell with a water pistol, you know. Timothy's probably thinking, boy, I'm a preacher boy, and my, my, my mentor, Paul, is encouraging me to preach. He must know God's going to bless my ministry. He must think that we're going to see great things for God's glory. Boy, Timothy's probably on mountaintop experience. Look at verse number 3. For, Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, then why is it so important I know doctrine? You see, your doctrine is not dependent upon their response to it. One of the problems with modern day Christianity is we have compromised doctrine to appeal to people. When buildings say seeker-sensitive, there's a tremendous problem. When people advertise, come as you are, you know what they're inevitably saying? You're going to stay like you are. God's Word meets people and transforms their life. So, as, as Timothy's ready to go preach, Paul says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Notice this. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth 
and shall be turned unto fables. As you read these words, one of the things that sticks out to us the most is having itching ears. Most of us probably wonder even what that means. Be honest with me. Raise your hand if you wonder what itching ears means. I would be the first one to raise. Okay, there we go, Brother Marshall. There we go. There we go. There's some of you and the rest of you are scholars. You know doctrine. I guess I was the only idiot in the room, apparently. Why would itching ears have anything to do with anything? You see, the Bible is saying here that people had a need. You ever get an itch somewhere in your back that you just can't reach? Man, I remember growing up, my mom would look like a bear over there on the wall, itching herself on the wall, and I'm like, Mom, you got some earbuds in, or what's going on? No, Mom didn't make the Chewbacca sound. I'm kidding. That, mom didn't do that. Man, sometimes you'll be behind somebody, you'll see them trying to get everywhere, but if they cannot satisfy the itch. What do you do? Well, if you have a good wife, make sure she's yours. Because if you ask mine, you won't be so concerned about the itch after what I get done with you. <laughs> if you have a good wife, you say, honey, they're, they're, my back's itching. Can you reach that? You see, the itch was unsatisfiable by what they currently had. So they acquired people who could satisfy themselves. What were they trying to satisfy? Verse 3 tells us they were satisfying their own lust. Teachers who would promenade around as Bible theologians, they're the ones getting asked to speak out. They're the ones that you see their faces on the billboards. You know why? Because they don't ever affect a heart. All they do is itch a back. The truth of God's word cuts to the heart. These people were satisfied with just on their ears. What happened here was people acquired. They sought out Bible teachers who would only give them partial gospel. You see, partial gospel is no gospel at all. If you can only preach the, the happy parables in the Bible, you're failing your church miserably. You're failing the congregation miserably. You see, there's some parables that are not so comfortable to preach. There's some times when people need to not just be satisfied with the itches on their body, but they need to be directly spoken to at their heart. But here was the problem. Paul looks at Timothy after saying, preach the word, Timothy. He says, here's the issue. They're going to have a different appetite. You're going to study. You're going to work hard. You're going to labor. You're going to do everything you can do. And people are going to run you out of town as they did me. One of the very first things that Paul ever encountered was finally getting acceptance into the Christian faith only to be run out by the Grecians who he was debating with. If Paul says, Timothy, you're going to study, you're going to prepare, you're going to preach, and, and they're not going to like your message because they don't want to hear something that will change them. They want to hear something that makes them feel good about where they are. And I'm here to tell you there are thousands of churches who opened their doors this morning who never taught anybody to be anything different than what they were. 
They taught about God's grace and God's goodness, but they never taught about the fact that every man stands accountable to God for his actions. What's happening is, Paul looks at Timothy and says, Timothy, they're going to have a different appetite, but that does not affect the way in which you prepare, the way in which you preach. It was Warren Wearsby that said, they want religious entertainment from Christian performers who tickle their ears. We have a love for novelty in the churches of today. Emotional movies, pageants, foot-tapping music, colored lights, etc. The man who simply opens the Bible is rejected, while the shallow religious entertainer is made the celebrity. The problem is today... We make more about, we make such a do about nothing, about the minor things. We, we promote our church through promotion only. The only time we invite our friends is when we have a trunk or treat. The only time we would ever dare go down our street is when Easter comes around. We, we, we promote the, the program. And we miss majoring on the Savior. There has never been a song that's been sung that's changed my life. There has never been a rodeo that has changed my life. And even at those rodeos, the thing that has changed hundreds of children's life is not the buck and bronc or the buck and bull or even the funny rodeo clown. It's the moment where a man stands in the middle of that arena and says, you are lost and on your way to hell and Jesus offers you a way to heaven. It is the life-changing truth of the gospel and not the programs of the church or the singers in the church. It is the gospel that changes lives. And I don't care if the world has a different appetite. The Bible says they will heap to themselves teachers. They will surround themselves by those that will tell them they're okay, all the while being deceived and buying into the lie and not realizing there's someone who's willing on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night to preach God's word faithfully, regardless of whether it cuts to the core. That's what Paul says to Timothy. The world's going to have a different appetite. But he says, upon saying, Timothy, it's going to be hard. He says, I need you to disregard the affliction. I need you to overlook the uncomfortable. Verse number five. But watch thou. In all things endure afflictions. Timothy, have you ever preached a sermon and you ask the congregation to raise their hand if they've never accepted Christ as their Savior and nobody raises their hand? He says, Timothy, endure afflictions. He says, Timothy, if you've studied and you've prayed and you've done all that you can and then you, you do everything you can in the pulpit and you labor and you're torn apart emotionally and you stand and ask people to come forward and nobody moves. You know what Paul says? Endure afflictions. I need you to disregard the afflictions. Why is that? He says, verse number five, do the work of an evangelist. Now, this is not the evangelist that we know of today like Dr. House. This is 
be like me, do as I have done, go throughout the region and and preach. In fact, you could essentially call this a missionary in the New Testament. Do the work of an evangelist, teach God's word, share God's truth. But he says this, and this is what I want to draw to your attention as we close. Make full proof of thy ministry. Make full proof of thy ministry. This is what he says as we close. Timothy, Timothy, there may be thousands of opportunities for you to preach the word. And you may take every one of them and do so. And 999 of them may be a miserable failure in your own estimation. 990 times out of a thousand, you may not get to see the results of your preaching. But he says there will be one time. Make full proof. We would say it like this today. Take full advantage of. If you're given the opportunity to share the gospel, do it. Oh, you say, Brother Andrew, I've done it thousands of times and it seems like I'm not very good or something's not working. You know what Paul would say to you today? Make full proof. Continue to do what you're faithfully doing. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. You will see the labor of the harvest. You will one day see when God will do what you could no no longer do. You will see when you're at your rope's end, God will answer your prayer and God will do something great through you. I like the Bible. I hope you do too. Acts chapter 5 tells us that there's a group of men after they had departed the Sanhedrin after being questioned, after being beaten. You know what the Bible says? They counted it all joy to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. Anytime I read the word worthy this year, it sticks out to me. And these men thought it a privilege to be worthy to suffer affliction for our Lord and Savior. He's basically saying, don't waste your chance to share the gospel. When I was in high school, I mentioned earlier, I played every sport. I played baseball, basketball, uh, track, golf, uh, let me see, football. I did not play, uh, uh, what's one of the other, like gymnastics, didn't do that. I don't look good in tights, okay? So, but when I was in high school, I did all of these things for four years. I I played football. My freshman year, I tore my hamstring the first scrimmage in warm-ups. What a loser. In warm-ups, I tore my hamstring and did not get to participate in all all year long. Sophomore year, I played. Junior year, I played. My senior year, our first scrimmage, we played a team, and we had bad blood with this team, not because the team was a bad team, but because a coach who I loved as a brother and despised as a human. Is that okay? Are you allowed to do that? I'm not sure. <laughs> he had started coaching for this other school. And, and I was so ready to take it to him. So during the scrimmage, it's just a scrimmage. It doesn't count for anything. We did. We took it to him. I think we were up by 25 or so at the end of the game. I ran the ball up the middle, and uh, the guys tackled me, and I fell awkwardly on my shoulder, and I pulled a Tony Romo. 
I got up and I could not lift my arm. I walked straight over to the fence and I looked at my dad and I said, something's really wrong. And it just so happened to be my right arm, which is my strong hand. It's the arm I throw with. And, and as quarterback, you need that to throw. And this is my senior year. This is what I've prepared for. And I'm telling you, I could run 44, 40-yard sprints a day and not get tired my senior year. Two-a-days were nothing because I was ready to play. And my senior year, I remember I had to sit six weeks out because of a separated AC joint. I ended up coming back towards the end of the year. I got to play most of the district games. We, we got to the point where it was us and the same team we played in a scrimmage at the beginning of the year were tied for playoffs. We played them the last game of the season. You say, is this a script to a Disney movie? No, but it should be. Let them know. <laughs> And so I called, right, remember the Titans, right. So I called, uh, or we, we played these guys. And this game, because I, I don't know what, I guess they had improved as a team. I'm not exactly sure the reason. I feel like I did not come back as strong as I could have uh, because of the injury. Either way, in the fourth quarter, we were tied. We possessed the ball with the last minute and a half uh, of the game to play, and we drove down the field. Standing there on the five-yard line, waiting to go in to score, we had enough time to play the downs out. If we score, we win. If we don't score, we lose. I think we were down three points or so. I was quarterback. The coach called a play. The guy was trying to uh, run a five-yard out pattern. And so I, I, I snapped the ball. I remember dropping back. The, the linebacker had no clue. We had play action. In other words, we had faked a handoff. I rolled out. The guy ran his out pattern. I threw the ball. It hit him in the hands and he dropped it. We still had two more downs. The previous play had worked so well and my coaches were so creative that we decided to run the exact same play again. Yes, that was slight sarcasm. <laughs> I snapped the ball the second time. Obviously, I'm disappointed, but I still feel as if we're the better team. I feel like we can do this with the downs we have remaining. I'm not worried about it at all. I snapped the ball. The kid's name was Justin. He runs the same exact pattern. And to my absolute surprise, he gets open again. This time I throw the ball. This pass is not as good of a pass. Still catchable, I maintain to this day, but he did not catch it. The ball hit his hands and deflected it into the linebacker's hands, losing the game for us there in our own end zone. I'd never been to playoffs on, on a team that I felt was kind of led by me in football. I, I'd been once when I was a freshman on a team that was full of a lot of guys better than me. And I felt like this was my year to do something. And there I stand in, in the end zone, a loser. Now, I'm not really one to cry. And I somewhat regret it to this day. But as that horn sounded, I realized the culmination of four years of effort had just ended. And my emotions began to overwhelm me. And I realized all the 40s I had ran, 
and all the weights I had lifted, which as you can tell were not many, all of the work that I had put in, all the trees that I had thrown the ball at in my front yard, all of the routes, all of the blocks, all of the tackles, they culminated to this moment in time, and I stand in the field a loser. I began to weep uncontrollably. I, I don't know why, it was just overwhelming. I went over to the huddle with my team, and the coach is trying to give me a pep talk, and it's not helping. I just feel like my time is up. Realizing I'll never play another down of football again. You know why Paul says to Timothy, make full proof of your ministry. Because one day the buzzer will sound for each and every one of us. And we will either consider ourselves a loser or a winner for the glory of God. You know what Paul says, Timothy, preach every time you get a chance. Witness every time you get a chance. Be the Christian you ought to be every single day. And the reason is this, because by doing so, you'll take full advantage of what God can do in your life. And who knows what he can do with a man that is fully surrendered to him. I believe with my whole heart, if Joshua Baptist Church would do everything that we could possibly do to witness at every chance we can possibly witness. Oh, I don't think we would have any empty seats this evening. But probably what happens is more often than not, when given the opportunity, we do not take full advantage of it. We pass by people every day in need of a Savior, and we oftentimes point out their personality features. We oftentimes oh, say they had a funny uh, uh, personality, they, they, they said a good joke, all the while never remembering that that person is lost. It's easy to look at these videos and see the people in foreign countries lost and on their way to hell. When we in America, in the most, I hesitate to even say this, in the most Christian nation in the world, have people in throngs under delusion that somehow their works will get them to heaven. Here's my encouragement for you tonight as I close. Take full advantage of what God can do through your life. Anytime you get a chance, you say, hey, Brother Andrew, most of the time doesn't work out, but there will be one because God promised there would be.